That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Happy Friday. Joining me in studio for this Take Two podcast is Mara Carabello. Because we didn't know if they could get along today, Greg Hughes is joining us by phone on the side of the freeway. We have to be in separate rooms. Yes, <laughs> where are you going? They forced me out of the studio. I've been forced out. Now, I know. So I'm tell us where way, you're headed. I'm on my way to Liberty Land. Uh, Liberty Land is Washington County. Washington County is having their fair. And amateur boxing is happening in uh, Utah. Amateur boxing is happening in Washington County today or tonight, and I'm a big supporter of our amateur boxing uh, programs in Utah, and so I'm going down to watch these young men and women uh, compete. It's pugilation, pugilator. What is the right term for that? You, you. Talk it it is word. pugilism. It is pugilism. It's pugilism. Now we engage in political pugilism, but these are pugilists. Actual they are. pugilists. They are. Actual. Yes. And Mara's back here, looking all sunny and happy. She's been in Las Vegas. That's right. Living La Vida Loca. Do you live La Vida Loca? No, I think you have to go to south of the border for that. I think but, yeah, but we didn't hit uh, that it, spot. No. That's where. You know, it, <laughs> what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. She'll never tell you. Yes, I, it's if true. You ask, she yes. Just, She'll just look sheepish. Uh-huh. She'll just when you, never answer. When you hit Vegas with a couple of teenagers, it's whew, it's wild. <laughs> Living wild. <laughs> well, it was a good break, so hopefully everyone had a nice break, and hopefully, Greg, you come back so excited. And without COVID, I guess you've had it, so hopefully you should be good to go. I am. I have natural antibodies, immunity. My my immune system has prepared me for the worst. It's I've been through it. Awesome. So. And the good news is, as we uh, start this podcast, the numbers keep falling. We keep staying about in the same range below, probably around 400 cases a week, which is funny because, uh, not really funny, but my daughter called me this morning and she was upset because her roommate tested positive for COVID. She'd gone home and came back with it. And I think there's 10 kids on the Utah State campus. So my daughter's uh, grounded to her dorm right now. It happened at the end of last semester. Makes it hard to take all your tests. So I'm like, oh, sorry, when are we going to be done? Such a I, Heidi, I told you, and I've told Mara, I've told you, it's these college kids. They are not wired for social distancing at this age and window of their lives. They are. It is the opposite for them. So they are our super spreaders. They, they are, are the aerosol social. machines. Okay, that's what happened to me. I had my system down. I was never getting it. And then my daughter, my college-age daughter comes home and just aerosols the house. Boom. So there you well, go. Well, I think my daughter's staying at school. And with only 10 kids on campus, right now it seems like they're on good behavior or they've reached herd immunity on college right. campuses. So good to go there. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about a few things. Actually, Mara brought up this topic. We're going to start with hers first. But there's been a lot of talk over the last couple of days about Utah Jazz scholarships. For every win, um, the owner, Ryan from Qualtrics, I've just lost his last name, Smith. Smith. In Utah, that's not hard to remember. I'm like, Ryan Smith. So he um, is giving away a scholarship to an underprivileged and uh, student of color. There's, a, I think, 45 wins right now, so 45 scholarships. And there has been some concern because I think, I don't even know who was meeting, but yesterday someone asked a question from an audience to the governor asking if he thought it was okay that um, a private business owner be – choosing specifically not to let white children have these scholarships. And the governor said, 
it's okay. Uh, he said, you know, it's a private business. Have at it. Give away scholarships and help kids. Mara, where do you stand on this one? I'm with the governor on this one. It's private sector. It's private money. And, you know, I think he could probably, we could all always do better to articulate our reasoning and why we're doing what we're doing. But to um, enter into the fray of criticizing someone who's trying to add uh, things into the community that are beyond themselves. Try to add conversations that say, hey, the world's not just about me, it's about a lot of other things, and trying to point out equity issues. Albeit he's maybe not pointing it out in the way someone else would, maybe he's not taking the same tact someone else would, but our community that feels free, particularly I should say our social media community, that feels free to just blast at everybody if things aren't said the exact right way they want them said or done the right way. So I'm going to applaud anyone from the private sector who wants to spend their wealth um, raising up our entire community and recognizing that there's inequity in um, where people are at their starting point. And if he can take someone's starting point and change it to a more advantageous one, I say private sector money should do that. So, Greg, before we go to you, I want to actually read what uh, Governor Cox said so I don't uh, give him the wrong words in his mouth. But David from Highland asked the question, if it's racist that Utah Jazz excludes white children from the team scholarship program, the governor's answer says it is not racist. Ryan Smith and the Jazz can do what they want with their funds. All kids should have equal opportunities, and we are proud of the Jazz. Your thoughts? So I'm glad you read the quote because if it's inartfully said, then fair enough. I would agree with Mara that you know maybe we could we could explain things a little bit better so that we understand what the governor was saying or what these scholarships are meant to do or who they are to serve. I will say this: that Title I kids, where those are children that live in the federal poverty level, their house income is in the federal poverty level. Uh, these are not children exclusively that are black that are exclusively Latino, that are exclusively Polynesian or exclusively white. You have children growing up in circumstances, difficult circumstances that are all race, race, color, creed, you name it. If their scholarship are for disadvantaged children who need a break and need help, and that is how, and these, there are kids across this country that need help. Those are great scholarships. And I applaud the Utah Jazz for engaging and they're having a lot of wins so a great a great way to do it but the question was asked that these scholarships have been described as for students of color if these students if these scholarships are only available for students of color it's a disgrace and i mean that word because it would mean that you would go into that title one school and you would segregate out and you would say you're having a tough time but you're white you are not all you're not available you're not you don't get the opportunity to have a scholarship. You would go into communities and poor communities in this country or in this state where there are poor white children, shoulder to shoulder with children of all ethnicity and color and race. And, and you'd say, okay, the white ones, you're not of color. You're, the pigment of your skin does not qualify you for this scholarship. If that is truly what is happening here, then we better call it out. And if what I'm saying is no longer in this crazy world we're living in popular, then so be it. But children that are disadvantaged, regardless of color, had better be able to be helped by us, by all of us, our whole community, by our government, by our state, but by even the Utah Jazz. And the, if it's a white child that's in uh, difficult circumstances, they should not be excluded because of that. It really does bother me the way I've read that. I hope it was said uh, inaccurately, and it is not uh, scholarship for children. So it's never only. a disgrace for anybody to ever want to share their private money that they 
privately earned um, in any way they want. And uh, the rest I'm going to check because I have a feeling we're going to talk a little bit more about racism and what um, the definition is of racism and the misunderstanding sometimes of preferential treatments as many people see it. But I will just say in this instance, I find it amazing that, again, this is private money. Now, if, it, if it's public money, there's an entirely different discussion about <laughs> this, but that yeah. it's private money and someone wanted to do good. And I understand wanting to maybe de- define and expand the definition, but we live in a community where the first reaction is to criticize instead of to expand. And so I'm Mar- going Mara. to just unequivocally <laughs> give some credit to someone who wants to do good. Uh, so the world we live in now is honestly that we think of a business with private money wants to exclude children in need who happen to be white and say that because of the color of your skin, you are not available. This help and this scholarship is not available to you. You think that there are, there aren't, uh, there, there aren't laws. There aren't, there isn't, there isn't something that we should re- reject and, and oppose. We cannot. I mean, when do we become Greg, a colorblind society? I just want to point society? out that that, that the, your basis, and I want you, I want you to take a minute to sink this in because this is the heart of like nine out of ten conversations that you have with me. So your yes. your whole premise is, geez, I think I should have the government tell this dude what to do with his money, and I want to be no. prescriptive. So I want you to remember that as you head into Utah County, in which you're going to lick every public door handle and defend the Laura, right of I'm everybody not to not wear their mask. Democracy here, Greg, is I'm outstanding. Saying, no, no, I'm not. You've never heard me once propose a law. What I am saying is, in, a, in a, an environment where it's Black Lives Matter and where we are supposed to be so sensitive to, to and racially sensitive right now, to say that a poor child raised by a single mother, uh, where there's not two quarters to rub together, is not able and does not qualify for a scholarship, even though their circumstances mirror someone of color, a child of color. That how does that comport with us trying to be more sensitive to to people's ethnicity, their race, their circumstances? We are all we are falling over ourselves, or supposed to be, to be more thoughtful and understanding as a society. While at the same time we're saying, if you're in a poor community and you're sorry, you're going to stay poor. You're not going to have the same opportunities. You're not going to be eligible for this scholarship. It blows my mind that w- that there is a gap here. It's created a lot no of conversation gap. for sure. And I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, Ryan is obviously new uh, to leading the Utah Jazz. He has a new buddy today um, that's joining in. If I would have known that you could actually buy a part ownership of the Utah Jazz for like 100 bucks, <laughs> I would have joined Dwayne Wade. I don't know how much he had to pitch in, but uh, we have a new owner. So it'll be interesting to see a partial owner, I should say, how this all shakes out. If maybe he listens to part of this conversation or if he decides that's really where he wants the money to go, because like we've said, it is private money. Uh, we're going to watch that closely because I'm guessing he's going to be around for a few years and that scholarship may stay the same or may change. Uh, has anything changed over the last 100 days? Governor Cox hit his 100-day mark this week. Greg, we'll start with you. How is he doing? You know, I think that I think that what you're, I think he's doing well. I think that there's been some great uh, appointments. His transition I thought was smooth. I thought he put some great cabinet members in place and in terms of important departments in our state. I think there was a very successful legislative session. There was a veto. There's uh, issues that uh, the governor saw differently than the legislature, but I thought it was a collaborative effort with the legislature. And I think that what you're seeing is uh, if you took Governor Cox all by himself and how he sees the world, uh, and then you look at the collective 
uh, issues or concerns or priorities of a house of represent a state house of representatives and a state senate, you'd find there'd be different. Their priority list may look a little different, but collectively, I think the state's been well served. And I would I would I would give the governor positive. Uh, score a positive score for the last for this last hundred days. So I mean, I think what I would observe in addition to that is he's doing a good job articulating. He's doing a good job. So that is not to disagree. That's to say that public um, relations public matter. relations matter, right? And he's taking every. I mean, he has done a ton of ceremonial signings. He's done a ton of sort of um, making moments in time. There's an adage that says events drive politics, and he's taking time to create events to frame up who he is and why he wants to do it. He's using a broad swath of words that he cares about. He set up an equity ad- senior advisor. He's really emphasized rural issues. He's often going to his rural office in Cedar City to do those things. So in addition to the work he's been doing, I would suggest that he um, has a high IQ for public relations. How do we like his pick for who will lead uh, out in the homeless area? Greg, obviously this is something you've worked with. Uh, You've worked with Mr. Niederhauser in the past before. Is he a great pick to move forward in our homeless issues? Absolutely. This is again, another, another stellar pick uh, within this administration. I'll say this, uh, former Senate president, Wayne Niederhauser, I served with him in all four years during my time as speaker of the house. And uh, we were partners. We were partners on Operation Rio Grande. We worked uh, really closely together with the governor, with uh, the departments, uh, and with Salt Lake City on these issues. And um, I, I now I got to tell you, it's a it's a stick to beat yourself with. This is a this is as difficult of a public policy issue as you will ever confront. Uh, it requires bold strokes and bold action, which usually makes somebody mad, uh, which makes it even that much harder. Uh, it's going to be very hard, and I feel for my good friend, uh, pre- former President Niederhauser, Senate President Niederhauser, but the, the homeless issue and having somebody within the state, uh, as the legislation now calls for, you couldn't have someone uh, with, with a greater uh, – with greater reputation, greater knowledge of the system, good relationships with, uh, with the legislature, the House and Senate, and obviously the, uh, the governor and his administration. So – I think it's I think it's a very good turn of events. Now, Mara, you said last time we were talking about the issue that the possibility of hiring someone out of state, maybe fresh eyes might be a good thing. He's not fresh eyes, but he understands the the work that needs to be done, what's been done, and what's kind of slid backwards. Yeah, he's tremendous, right? As a person, a way neater outer, I, I would just echo what, what Greg said. I would still be on the team that says, hey, I hope one of the first things you do is to hire um, an area expert, which is not to say that his years of service haven't informed him and that the work that the many different advocacy groups, I, I'm not to suggest that they're not informed, but this is a problem that has solutions, and there are professionals who have been doing it for years. And Utah sometimes has this notion that we're going to get the best and brightest, but we're going to DIY it a little bit. And I, I think that that's part of the problem here is that if we see I, – I, I agree that it needs bold leadership decisions. If he convenes another Blue Ribbon Commission, I'll be really disappointed. We've done it. We've roundtabled this issue. He needs to – convene one the state still owes him some resources right so we can't send one lone soldier out there even though um former president Niederauder is great we can't send him out there alone we need to give him resources but i hope what he uses those resources are to do is to hire specific 
area industry specialists um, who come in. The other thing I'll just say, as is many, um, often the case with people who are really talented, we're going to miss his leadership on um, EV and clean energy, and I hope he can find it. I mean, the, this homeless is such a big issue. I don't know how it doesn't just take up all 26 hours of his 24-hour day, and I hope he can still continue the work he's been doing with Utah State on advancing um, environmentally friendly, and uh, he's just such a strong mainstream conservative voice for um, clean economics and 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 um, healthier environmental solutions. So I'll miss him there because I have a feeling that his focus will not be. But I would still say, yes, he's the right leader. Um, what I'm looking for is someone who will make decisions because I think that's what moves this issue. And also don't convene again a, a, a group of well-intended civic leaders, but rather convene a group of professionals who can give you the hardcore data that you need to make what Greg has said. I absolutely agree with a series of very tough decisions. And it seems like the efforts we need need to be continual where there's never a ball dropped because it seems like we were making great progress and then it slid back exactly. and we could do that again. We could get someone in this position, make great progress and say, okay, we fixed it. Mm-hmm. But you never as fixed soon as it. he leaves them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it's like being number one. You can fight your way to being number one but you don't stay there by relaxing you stay there by right. fighting and well because this this is not going to go away as a problem right no. this is not one of those things that you're like oh thank goodness huzzah we have fixed it um which is again why it needs to be more codified more systemic more professionally um run i also hope there's plenty of room when you read the statute um i i hope that the governor appears to be what he's doing which is really empowering this position not as a advisory position but someone who can make decisions and that they'll have the full backing of the governor's office. So that's what I would expect. That seems to be what Governor Cox is indicating, but I hope that that proves to be true. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. Okay, so we are one week into the end of the state mask mandate, and it ended a week ago, and uh, our friend Greg Hughes is heading down to Washington (laughs) County where there is not a mask mandate, aside from stores who choose to have it right now. Uh, Why are you heading down there? Are you heading down there to give them a high five because they're not wearing masks, or is it really about the boxing? Why are you heading down there? Yeah, no, I, it is, it is that the tournament and that they're, they're, our amateur boxers are, are, are uh, going to be competing tonight. That's why I'm going down, but you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that when you saw the swearing in and the inauguration of governor Cox, uh, it was in Washington County at the two center. And it was, uh, and you see that the, the Washington County fair is up and running. Uh, that County has really leaned on, uh, the, their population to make good decisions and to, to be smart about taking precautions, and it's worked well. They have a great Department of Health uh, director, a five-county Department of Health uh, director, and Dr. Blodgett comes from uh, John Hopkins uh, Hospital and University and Hospital, well-trained, uh, and you know he has taken a very different approach than you see the talking heads on national network news and the California model or the New York model. Uh, they have looked to, to trust the people there, and as these mandates statewide have been lifted, you've seen that Washington County and really that five-state or five-county area have been able to implement the strategies and the and the precautions they felt have been appropriate. And so, yeah, that's that's Washington County for you. That's why I call it. How you? That's why I call it Liberty Land. It's a beautiful Liberty Land. place. I, I'm excited to hear when you come back next week what you saw, if there's still businesses that are choosing to require masks, what happened. So we want a full report yeah. card when you come back. But up here in Salt Lake City, there still is a mask mandate. And there was someone, I think it was Saturday last week when the mandate was lifted, that went into a store in Salt Lake City and made threats of violence. The store shut down. 
Mara, people were saying that this might happen when there's no full mandate, stores are making choices. Did you expect this to happen, and is there going to be more of it, or is it just a couple of random people who are not good humans last Yeah, week? I think there's sadly going to be more of it from random humans who aren't good. I yeah. mean, like, I don't think it's the masses of people, but I think people who are making, and I, I think Washington County is in this category of wanting to make political statements and not science statements, but the people who want to make political statements out of the uh, such low bar of wearing a mask, I think are going to continue to push that. I think that... The state of Utah, to their credit, is um, following the metrics they've put aside. You One can decide whether you like the metrics your local state is using or not, but at least the state is still marking to those. Um, I like that they've given some prudence to local jurisdictions, and I do like that we've had a couple of members of law enforcement that have been pretty outspoken about saying they will help um, They'll help local businesses who want Park to Park City keep. has been one. Yeah, and yeah. I appreciate that because I actually think that the state capitulated a little bit and took the easy road out and said, oh, private business can decide. So since you've decided to put the community onus on the business, I like that law enforcement is saying, hey, we're, gonna, we're going to help everyone make their own choices. And if this business feels comfortable, we've got a lot of national companies here who are still following national standards. And so this is a moment where I would say if you are making a political point about getting in someone's face about your what you believe is where you want to plant your right sword I would suggest that you spend more time reading history and you spend more time helping people that really need it because this is such um, a misguided way to exercise what is clearly frustration and anger in general so we're going to have more of it and I hope more of us take the chance to just vocalize supporting whatever anyone wants and and there are people that are still at risk and I guess my big problem with these with these moments of of asserting your individuality is that it is such an easy ask of me from not my government but my neighbor to wear a mask so that they feel safe. Now, I will say the pendulum's going to swing at a point in which uh, I'm going to go to the other side of this argument. I was listening to something on a local radio station here, and a, a caller said, hey, my three friends and I have all been immunized, and we're past our 14 days. Can we get together? And the state guy said, hey, listen, you can get together, but I, can we get together and not wear a mask? The state guy said, you can get together, but I'd still wear a mask because mask wearing is great. And I'm thinking to myself, you're not following science. No. CDC has said yeah. that that we were okay. So I fully am aware that there's going to be those on the other side that are hyper and like, you must always. And I'm thinking, no, let's try and seek facts. Facts are sometimes confusing. But if we all just try and honor those around us, it's not that hard. And a mask is not that big of a deal. I think the big so, thing going forward is personal responsibility, being kind to people. And I went to my doctor's office this week, and I'm going to admit I really liked it. They were done with wearing masks. Right. I was there twice this week. And sometimes when you're having conversations with people and they're important health conversations, seeing their eyes, yep. seeing their face, and having that conversation was important. So to me, that was a breath of fresh air. I did notice there were a couple of people in the doctor's office still wearing masks, and then most of them weren't. But I like that it was okay if you wanted to wear one yes. and if you wanted to have the conversation and see your doctor's face and they wanted to see your face that was okay too greg what were you going to say so everything that mara said i just want i mean that's a that's a two-way street so i think that there's a lot of virtue signaling i think there's a lot of people that want to say if you haven't been vaccinated or you haven't uh if you're not wearing a mask then you're a bad person and there's a lot of finger pointing going that direction i don't think i know that i know that people like to at least the media likes to show when someone's upset that they have to wear a mask. Well, let me just tell you, there's a lot of people that want to ostracize or ban 
people that don't wear masks or haven't uh, opted to take the vaccine if they've had COVID and they feel that they have the, the antibodies. And, and so I think everything that Mara said is true, but it needs to apply both ways. It needs to be a two-way street. I've never had a problem with a business that if they'd ask, if they ask you to wear a mask entering their business, uh, that's fine. Uh, that's, that's okay. I think that we can all make these decisions. Businesses can make those decisions and we don't need government edicts to be the deciding point on whether we're going to take precautions or not. That's just not the country we live in or the people that we are. But I, I will say that we've got to just track this. We've got to watch because it's it's going to be a way street. You watch. There's going to be you're 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 not going to be able to fly at some point. You're not going to be able to go to a to a, a concert unless you've had the the preferred vaccination or or whatever procedure or passport in your hand. If you don't have your papers on you. We don't want to. We don't want to get to a place like that. And so, I think such Mara's an... description is exactly what we can apply. Everything Mara said, we can apply to resist the virtue signaling or the demand that everybody have their vaccine passports and everything else. Good job, Mara. Yeah, no, I'm not. I don't disagree with you, Greg. I mean, that's the thing. I think you like to set up paper warriors that you can fight against. No, I know uh, that's true. I said two way street. <laughs> the one thing I just want to point out again, I'm going to be thematic today with Greg, and that <laughs> I am just seeing this Titanic shift in front of me that I'm still just wide eyed about, where the Republicans have decided to wholesale take aim at private sector. The people who have been wearing the private sector around their necks with flourish are now telling them who they can donate to and when, who could they restrict and when. And man, you Republicans are just hating on you, capital America in a way that I, said, I don't I, understand. I, I said, if a business says to wear it, I'm not, I don't have a problem with it. I've I know, but then you went on to allude to the fact that if an airline tells you you have to have a vaccine card, that was akin to anarchy. And I would point out it's a private entity. The one thing I don't understand yeah, is having true. a vaccine I, I card to fly. Card you can still, onerous. as my understanding is, pass the virus, yeah. get the virus. So someone without the vaccine can pass the virus, get the virus. They may get sicker, so it's their... Because if it works the way you, yes. the vaccine works, you know, it just doesn't make any sense because you could all ultimately get sick. And the person who chose not to get the vaccine, then I guess you live with the consequences of, you know, does your immune system kick it off or not? But I think this all comes down to the same thing as politics. Everyone thinks the left is wrong or the right is wrong or the mask wearers, or the not yes. mask wearers, or the vaccinators, the people who are hesitant. Ultimately, I think most people want the best for themselves. They want the best in the family and they try to make those decisions that they think are best for their family, are those decisions the same? No, because we can see the opposite ends of the spectrum. Is one right or one wrong? I don't know that. Well, and part of this is Warren and unknown. We have, I have family, I have kids who are making very decision, different decisions than we are, and I'm listening to them and going, okay, as long as you have a rationale, right? Be, be thoughtful about yes. it. Be thoughtful there about you what you want. I agree with that. And, and, I agree but with I can that. live with their decision-making, and and um, I, but <laughs> I think, Heidi, you hit on part of the problem with COVID, though, is it because it shifts. And because it's real that it's shifting, it also feels really made up. I feel like half the time you're like, if you touch it with your left hand, then you're, yes. and you're like, what do you mean? Uh, two minutes ago, he could have had it and he it can sit on that chair, but he can't sit on this chair. I mean, I think we're all feeling like it's a little made up, but again, I think you've hit on it is that like, I, I have close people in my family who are making different decisions and I am very supportive because I think they've thoughtfully considered them. Yeah, and I think that's important. And you never know what's going to happen. My daughter, who's right now uh, staying at home, is because her roommate, who got the vaccine, 
got the virus too. Right. I don't think she's very sick, but she's got it and right. rules are rules. So, you know, we just all have to take a deep breath and try to be nice human well, beings. Well, here, here's what complicates it. It segues into the next topic. Everybody's trying to follow the rules. Everybody says, okay, this is what you should do. And then you find this national halt. The FDA and the CDC say, okay, everybody in America, stop taking the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. We've got six, you know, pro blood clots of the brain that we've got to research. If you are, if you, to Mara's point about you got to have a, some critical thinking, apply some critical thinking, have some rationale. There is no way that there are six cases of blood clots in, in, in respective people's brains that has stopped and halted 300 plus million people from being able to take this, this vaccine. There has to be more. There's the, the, the odds of that are, are astronomical when you see antibiotics that have a higher you know, allergic reaction rate that'll send you to the hospital and other drugs that we take that are like one in a thousand, you could have some severe reaction that are not taken off the market. Something is wrong with this Johnson and Johnson vaccine that they would, that the FDA and CDC would say, stop administering it immediately. And Fauci said, I think today it could take weeks or or it could take days or weeks to it figure does out make what's you going wonder. on. Yeah. The interesting that, part, that, that only leaves confusion to the public to go, what is going on? I think there's got to be beyond six cases as well, but I do like to see regulators regulating. Mm -hmm. So that's good that they're watching. I think the question is though, when you look, um, I've done stories about this. So you have to be careful about the wording, but uh, last time I checked, there was more than 3,000 people who had reported a death in a family member or someone who they've been a caregiver for post-vaccine. That doesn't necessarily mean the vaccine caused it, but it was shortly after the vaccine they reported it. And then tens of thousands of people have reported uh, serious side effects. There's a woman in Utah who suffered um, a very serious blood clot and stroke the day after receiving the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. According to those VAERS reports, she's not included in that six. Also, those VAERS reports are four to six weeks behind. So it does make you wonder what they know beyond those six cases, because it seems like with all those numbers for the other vaccines that it seems like six cases wouldn't be what stops it. So we've got to give the FDA yeah. and some, the CDC some credit for in the midst of the biggest spotlight on them. And my understanding is that they had two major courses of action they could have taken. One was to inform medical communities, doctors, to just include this in the warnings, which we get all the time, right? When we're about to go on a different medicine or take a vaccine, they say, hey, here are the consequences. That was a choice the CDC could have made, or they could have put a pause on it. And I think we also have to remember that they put a pause, but really the pause was to the distributors and the distributors could have overridden that if if CVS wanted to continue to bring the Johnson and Johnson to bear so it's oh, like really? it's like the cross in my mind of many cultures and one is i think there's an abundance of caution on the CDC and i appreciate their willingness to do something that is is seemingly very unpopular and i also though i mean th th there's somewhat risk taking and i also think it indicates also somewhat of the litigiousness that we feel or or back to this personal responsibility where I think there's the system is so worried that that people won't have a convert you know that they'll just sue I think that's coming into play but I think this issue is much more complicated I also want to continue to give a shout out to the fact that this is a global pandemic and what where I think the Johnson and Johnson stress is really created is outside the United States and so I think it's a problem within the yeah. United States but I look at Utah Utah is in a situation where we're still marching along pretty well without that third alternative or what may be fourth or fifth alternative but we were really really relying on as a global community they were very much relying on the single shot estrogen uh, AstraZeneca and it helps and in rural Utah Johnson. and places 
places where you have to travel Being able to put it in a lightweight cooler and being able to go out is, I think... And so, so yes, maybe there's problems with the process. I didn't mean to skip yeah. over the part, but man, there's so many components. Um, it's part of my global issue with back to the conversation we were just having about who you should be thinking about is that even if Utah gets a handle on this, if Colorado doesn't or Hawaii doesn't or you know Paris yeah. doesn't, like th- th- it's a complicated global issue. Yeah, and part of the vaccine problem, well, with, from my research, is really proving cause and effect because yes, you have a vaccine and you have a reaction, but there's a certain amount of people that are going to have strokes or heart attacks or die any given day of the year, and so how do you prove for sure that the vaccine caused whatever the problem was? The one thing that stands out to me with this Johnson & Johnson, um, not really recall, but pause, is that this is a really specific thing that I don't think most people get. There's blood clots, and then this is, I think, called CVST, which is yeah. a special kind of blood clot and a disorder that they don't normally see. So maybe because it's something specifically out of well, the norm and what they can narrow down is that they've all had the vaccine, maybe they can pinpoint the, the vaccine And the fact that there. it's in the brain and yeah. the fact that it's with women and the fact that it has additional platelets, right? I mean, there's so many, there are markers that seem to be like, wow, it seems to be only women so far. It seems to be in the brain, which feels different than other blood clots. And the fact that there is a derivative of a platelet count that's causing yes. the blood clot, I think make for interesting markers yes. the, the, I, I think that this is what worries me and that and that is that that I've heard and it may, the number must be bigger because I've heard 35 percent of our states of the United States are, have vaccinated at least 50 percent of their uh, population with at least the first of two vaccines or the Johnson and Johnson Johnson and Johnson uh, numbers I saw were about seven million vaccinations had been administered uh, six cases. Uh, for seven million vaccinations, so it's like not even uh, one in a million. It's yeah, it's it's it is so small. And and my point is that I this term vaccine hesitancy, it's on my mind because it is the greatest fear that our healthcare providers, that governments, health departments, everybody's been so worried about the public uh, feeling this vaccine hesitancy that halting the Johnson and Johnson vaccine over six cases out of seven million vaccinations going on, it means that if you're that worried about vaccine hesitation, why why would you halt it? Why would the FDA and CDC do it for such a small number? I Look, I I just hope that the data is valid. We know that data is hard to come by. It's, you know, there's there's a lot of challenges there. A lot of it's self-reporting on vaccines. That's the problem. And and the one thing that I'm the one thing that I'm hearing, and and I don't see I don't see it getting broad play, is that there is a legitimate question with pro-vaccination physicians, those that believe that this vaccine coming online is equivalent to putting a man on Mars, and they are they are absolutely committed to seeing this vaccination deployed and people being able to take it. Um, they're asking the question of should there be screening that if you have if you've had COVID and you have the antibodies and you, your immune system is strong, should you be taking the vaccine as well? It would be like getting, having, having already had the chickenpox and taking the chickenpox vaccine. There's, there are physicians out there and doctors that are saying, we don't know. There is, there, we don't have any data that shows us what happens when your body naturally creates the antibodies and you have an immunity and you take a vaccine uh, in addition to that, what happens? And some people think that the platelets and the blood clotting that are going on can, can be an adverse reaction from already having the be, having the antibodies and being immune, and then receiving the the vaccination. And so, those are again, 
I know that we're we're trying to get this thing deployed. It's a one size fits all model that we're uh, that we're embarking on. But I do think those questions need to be asked, and I think that there's more hesitancy in the long run if we're not being honest with the public, if we're not talking about the upsides and downsides, and giving uh, people real information about what it is that we're doing. And information again, is always power. Yeah, and again, I'm going to still give a shout out to the CDC. They're the ones who put the pause button. So I'm not yeah. going to yep. discredit them as a source. And again, I don't know that the podcasters need to know this, but sourcing matters when it talks. I mean, this is, Heidi, you've spent a lot of time deciding which sources are valid and which aren't. And I think on things like this, really, like sourcing matters. Sourcing absolutely mm-hmm. matters. And if you're listening right now and trying to get health advice from us, we'd yes, like to say, luck. please uh, <laughs> check with your doctor. Don't just go to WebMD. Uh, talk to people who are smart. Yeah. Decide what's best for yeah. you and your family. Read the labels. Make sure you know what the warning signs are and make your decision or accordingly. If, if you want to just listen to Julius Carabello, ice and elevate it, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's good. Although I don't like ice. It makes me cold. It is cold today. Okay, so I want to move on to a couple other issues. Uh, really Really quickly, uh, President Biden um, put out his pitch this week for the $2.3 million infrastructure plan. Uh, Democrats are getting a lot of what I would call their pet projects in this funded Green New Deal, more Medicaid, child care, health care in there. Republicans don't seem to be super happy because they're looking at the Merriam-Webster dictionary um, (laughs) definition of infrastructure, which is really the basics of buildings, roads, and power supplies. Greg, I'm going to let you start on this one. Is there room in a plan to look beyond just the dictionary definition of infrastructure, expand it, and spend this $2 million, or not $2 million, uh, trillion is what it is. I I put million down, it's trillion, $2 trillion. Um, Is this worth going into debt for, taxing the rich to make sure that we can build up all of these different uh, wide and varied infrastructures? So so I, as a a former uh, elected uh, leader and public servant, I have used the word infrastructure a little more broadly than just roads and rail and water um, and you know broadband and, and, and traditional infrastructure. I've, I've spoken about Utah's emerging workforce, our young state, and all these young people that are coming into the workforce as an infrastructure for our state that is that makes our state stronger. Many states are shrinking in population, and you can get a lot of companies that want to create a lot of jobs, but if you don't have people to fill those jobs, Uh, their their corporate expansion or relocation to their states makes it harder. Utah has an infrastructure of young people uh, that is an emerging workforce, and I have described it as infrastructure. Here's the problem with this infrastructure bill federally. They didn't just use it as I've just described uh, a little bit. This thing is chock full of Green New Deal, environmentalist agenda. This has healthcare uh, issues in it. It is it takes the word infrastructure, and it can mean anything by way of public policy, anything by way of government endeavor. And that is the abuse of an infrastructure bill at, in the trillions that, that really isn't, uh, isn't even attempting to, to be intellectually honest about what, what infrastructure is. I think, you can, I think you can veer and you can broaden it a little. But I think what you see in this, this uh, proposal doesn't even come close to trying to stay 
in the infrastructure realm. So Mara, here's the question. Um, is it smart to put th- this many things in a giant bill or do you take it out and pass a Green New Deal bill? You pass more Medicaid expansion and then you make maybe a broader infrastructure or can you put it all in there and get her done? Right. So that's the question. So I'm going to answer this by pointing out where we are in the process because we're going to talk about this for months. weeks, yeah. right? I mean, it's expected that the House votes on it in what, two to three months and that the Senate votes on it in the fall. So let's talk about where we are in the process. As Greg has uh, articulated for us many a time, when the president presents his plan, it's much like when the the governor presents his budget. And if you ever talk to a local legislator about how they feel about that, they throw that away with flourish and they point out they're the legislative branch, not the executive branch. Well, we have the same (laughs) setup here. Biden has put together his package, right? And his part of his goals are his constituents and part of his goals are to set a marker and to put the mark down. Let's not be confused that we have a bill. We don't have a bill. We're now deciding what the bills what look like. What is going like. to go in there, yes. So, Heidi, are in our gameplay, are we going to break it apart? Are the Dems going to say, forget about it, we're going to push something through? And are we going to bridge build? Are we going to try and build consensus? Uh, I think there are different parts of the Republican caucus as there are different parts of the Democratic caucus, and I think they are fighting right now about is this going to be a capital D Democratic bill and we're going to say forget about you guys and we don't want a bridge build, or are we really going to try and get four, five, six senators on the second half of this that could buy into this? That leads to your game playing about... I don't know. Are we going to try and slim it down and find common middle grounds with, yeah, maybe some Democratic outliers because they they are in the majority right now. But but you would concede to the middle in that point. So what I'm going to answer right now before we get into arguing, and and I I like all the dog whistles that Greg threw down. Those were really good. But before we start, before we start that fight. Greg, are you going to take this? (laughs) Before we start that fight, let's remember where we are in the process. That's exactly the gamesmanship that's going. Is this one bill? Is this six bills? Are we going to let... AOC and her gang, right? Is Bernie Sanders going to present the bill? Is someone else? Is this, how much of this are you going to argue? I think there's a case to be made that part of the environmental and green movement is infrastructure. I think that, uh, I think that Biden has articulated well that infrastructure can be human as well. So he's laid down some foundations to broaden the terminology, but it's the big question. We shouldn't be fighting over the semantics right now. We should be fighting about who we want in charge of putting the bill together because the legislative branches, and remember how different the House and Senate are. So I'm really interested in seeing about who is shaping up whether, Heidi, as you suggest, it's multiple bills. Are we going to run multiple streams or are we going to mega this thing? And I don't think any of us disagree that infrastructure needs help in our country. It certainly could be broadened. I think part of the big question right now is the price tag. What can we afford as a nation who should be taxed for it? And do we just put this on um, our debt tab that keeps adding up right now? So we're going to have months and months to discuss it. Before we go, um, this is not a light topic to end with. I should have put, yeah, like, ponies and unicorns at the yeah. end. I'll, th- I'll think of something here at the end to make it nice. <laughs> uh, but I want to talk about the war of words that's going on. Oh, my gosh, Twitter last night. I had to just close it down uh, between cartoonist Pat Bagley from the Salt Lake Tribune and also Congressman Owens. I don't know if you've seen it by now. If you haven't, we'll post the picture when we link on the podcast um, from this cartoon he drew. And it shows Burgess Owens when he made his visit to the border last week. And it says, they're coming to your neighborhoods. And then it shows um, a white cloak. And it says, they're coming to your neighborhoods. And referencing the Ku Klux Klan. 
Then yesterday, this has been days after. I don't know actually what day the cartoon came out. I saw it all week long and kept thinking, I'm surprised more people aren't talking about this. But the Utah delegation sent out a joint statement yesterday saying, the Salt Lake Tribune recently published a repugnant cartoon comparing Congressman Burgess Owens, our esteemed colleague and only black member of the Utah delegation, to a member of the Ku Klux Klan. This racially charged, perverse political statement is beyond the pale. We ask that the Salt Lake Tribune immediately take down this horrific image issue a formal apology and hold themselves to a higher standard. There was no formal apology. Uh, Pat Bagley has dug in his heels over this. It was, however, as I understand it, taken off of the Salt Lake Tribune's website. It's still getting tweeted and thrown around on social media. Mara, uh, you start on this one. Is Pat Bagley in the right, or was he lobbying bombs that just make the problem worse. So I think it's really fair to question Pat Bagley's taste. And I think it's fair for any elected official to opine upon how they felt about that. But this is not a society that censors their press. And you do have a representative in um, Burgess Owens who has um, has spent, (laughs) he he chooses to parlay in hate speech, and he does choose to throw down racial markers, and he does choose to use racist language, and he chooses to um, separate those and oppress those. So I want to talk a little bit about what racism is. Racism is not necessarily just skin color. It is about oppressed and oppressors. And um, a congressperson has a position of authority and honor. And the language that he has been using about um, the immigrants and refugees situation, but not just that. I mean, he has a history of that. He has a long-lived history. He's a strong black man who has articulated an amazing uh, philosophy about how he feels about his lived black experience. But he also used discriminatory language often. And if that's Pat Bagley's articulation of it, I think it's fair because he, Congressman Owens trades in this speech. This is the kind of speech he uses, and I think it is fair to hold him accountable because he is trading in the language of hate speech. Now, I will say, if you're um, among those who find it distasteful, that's an equally fair position. To censor him would be to imply that there was something, um, you know, sort of on face dishonor. I mean, I, 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 my head immediately went to the Charlie Abdo situation. Yeah. Uh, Abdo and, and, and where he did a picture of Mohammed and it was disrespectful, I'm sure, if you were a devout Muslim, but that was speech and that was in Paris. We're in the United States of America and he, um, you know, I, I think our congressman does trade in this divisive language and okay. you can question. So, Greg, before you go, I want to actually so, read to you. Before you get a react, I want to read... Um, What Owen said when he was on the border. I think this is pretty close to what he said. He said, believe me, the borders are open right now. We are seeing every single day people coming here and within hours getting on a train or a plane and going to your neighborhood. So no, Americans, this is not a border issue anymore. They're coming to your neighborhoods, not knowing the language, not knowing the culture, and there is a cartel influence along the way. So be aware. Don't think this is a distance from you now. This is coming your way. It is done on purpose by a party who could care less about we the people. Do you feel like this was hateful language? Did he say it the wrong way, or no? They, no, the, the the administration looks to they call them refugees. They look to to place people that are across the border that they have allowed across the border uh, in in different communities. They don't just stockpile human beings along those border states or in those border states. They find states where they can pl- relocate and place people. That's that's what that's what happens. I mean, 
the Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, says that that's what's happened in the past. They've been it's been they've their state has been contacted. Uh, you know, they've had they've had this this coordination in the past, and she's not really interested in it happening right now, given the circumstances and the, and the crisis on the border. But this is what I I just want to say this when I listen to Mara, you know, I it all sounds reasonable, but nobody ever gets the same memo. It's never the same. It's like Look at Charlie Hebdo and look at how how cartoonists can be as cruel and as mean and you can hate their cartoons, but it's free speech. But then the same left says Pepe Le Pew is terrible and it's and it's it's uh, it, it promotes a rape culture and Looney Tune cartoons. You can't have that on the, anymore because that's bad. She says she talks about Congressman Owens and a black congressman from our state and our delegation. And she says he he you know he he's involved in hate speech. That can be that's Mara's opinion, and she could say it. But are can you say that Antifa uh, engages in hate speech? Can you say that about? In other words, if you are on the left, nothing that someone that is black or Antifa or Black Lives Matter says that you disagree with. If you disagree with it, you yourself are racist. If someone on the right who is black says something that the left doesn't agree with then they are the ones that are the purveyors of hate. And this is where this is not a two-way street. This is where selective outrage, selective morals, is. It, it's going to continue to rip this country apart. We cannot – I am fine with the memo that cartoonists like Pat Bagley, who uses the KKK with a black congressman, with a black person, he can try to compare a black person, a, 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 you know, someone that's lifted themselves up, who says in his own quote – in his own uh, – account that he is himself as a child was terrorized by the KKK. You can have this cartoonist compare the KKK to this man, and we're supposed to say that's just opinion, and hey, that's thought-provoking. You don't have to like it. That's just art, but it only applies when you're attacking the right. It never applies, and the censorship and the banning and the sh and the shaming goes on if it's ever uh, the other way around. I'll just say this. There was last year when some of the government mandates were coming uh, on our state, there were those that compared the government, uh, the state of Utah's decisions to Hitler. And there was a recoil. And there were from people that are Jewish and people in the media that said this is this is insensitive at best. And it is hate at worst that you would ever compare the mandates and the, the decisions of our state in, in terms of crowd control that you would ever compare it to Nazism, it's it's the worst thing you could ever do. Okay, again, we'll take that memo and we'll, we'll log it. But I don't know how in the world we can be so offended by the cartoons or the comparisons of Nazi Germany and the heavy hand of a, of a government, a state government, and say that that is, you can never make, suggest such things. You should never say them. But then when you see Pat Bagley, and this is not the first time he's used the Ku Klux Klan, he did it to compare police officers and law enforcement not long ago uh, as the same. He throws around the Ku Klux Klan far too liberally. He does it in a way that demeans the terrible and disgraceful history of the KKK and the real oppression that happened to people, black people in this country, sadly. And he throws it out there anytime he feels that it fits a narrative, and it is repugnant. The, the, the comments from the delegation were exactly right. It is repugnant. And they should be ashamed of themselves that they would ever let that uh, in their paper of so-called record, the Salt Lake Tribune. So, Greg, just one thing I, I, I would 
I, I would ask of this conversation is that that occasionally I think you make insightful points, but where I get lost in your in your conversation is you throw everything in at once. First, you indicted me as an individual, and I was <laughs> ready I to what well, I was ready to like get all up in my space about it. And then I realized then you were doing the royal stereotypical we, and I thought, okay, I'll back down because I don't think Greg. I mean, Greg, you and I will go toe to toe if you don't think I criticize the left and the right. I am such more of a centrist than you'll even think about being. So. I mean, I say, if you're going to take me on, I'm going to. No, 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 I listened. So then you went in the big time, and then you did exactly what I I think we should do. If you have a direct criticism, I thought your articulation of the KKK was a really well-intended point, and you should tell Pat Bagley that. And you should continue to do what you're already doing, which is refuse to acknowledge the Tribune and refuse to get a subscription (laughs) from them. So I really support all of those civic actions that you're taking. But I do think that... When you throw out the cable news royal we, it degradates the conversation to the point where we're both just finger pointing again. So I would just look and say, I think you throw out the us and them. I do think the extremes of both sides are not productive. I will tell you every day of the week that the extremists on the left are, of course, saying biased and racist remarks. Of course they are. If you need me to stipulate that, I will stipulate that at the front of every conversation. That doesn't excuse other behaviors, though, and I don't think it speaks to the direct point of which we have a congressman too who is he operates in this shrill and divisive land as well i'm not excusing a response to that but i would just say say sometimes i think the conflating of the royal we and who you want and then the opinion about your offense uh, the opinion about your offense was really articulate but i should say like let's stay there and I think and and I guess I'd say the same, Marv. For the the I have made that very uh, I've made that example or, or shared that example of the the you know the the France uh, the the Paris Charlie had Hebdo uh, cartoons because there was one that was had the Queen of England uh, with her knee on the on the neck of uh, right. Meghan Markle and I th- and it's in poor taste and it's it's way over the top uh, and it, I think it does demean. What uh, what happened uh, with George Floyd? However, that you know, it is that freedom of speech, or it, it is thought provoking. It can be offensive, and there is a discussion to be had there. And I use that as an example to say, then how can we be so upset about Pepe Le Pew and Looney Tunes cartoons in the United States of America? I I, I heard you so, make kind of a similar point. I'm saying that you and I can can agree with these things, but you and I are operating. You would identify probably more left of center. I identify more right of center. But we're there's there's just not the same rules for the same yeah, side. You're also going and I'm to not force saying me. that between you and me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that's between you and me. I'm saying that's the narrative. And but I'm going to close then with my common theme for this point. That I would like to make a distinction about your Pepe Le Pew and the the Dr. Seuss books that you hate so much. I'm just telling you those were private sector businesses who made private sector decisions. No one said to them, I'm boycotting Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss's estate or whatever the name of their company is said we're going to pull. So Greg, your continued hatred of private sector and free market. I'm just saying it's it's getting hard. All right. I'm going to wrap this up here because we've been talking (laughs) so long. But here's the thing. I think 
this cartoon and so many others make me cringe. I guess that's what's cool about cartoons is they can get a message across. I'm glad we live in a land of free speech. God bless America. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> before we came in today, I was actually uh, talking to my 15-year-old. I wouldn't say helping. We were just having a discussion about his geography homework, and we were talking about North Korea and the DMZ, and we were talking about uh, communist China and all these things. And just talking about it, you know, was so frustrating because he'd learned so many important things. And I was thinking, I can't imagine living there. So while I don't like seeing things like mm -hmm. this that I think create more divide and more hate, I'm certainly glad that we have that and that we have the opportunity to have a conversation and that we don't live in a country where that's not allowed. So yay for that. Yay. Thank you so yes. much for being here. We've got to stop talking so long. <laughs> it's know. been like an hour. If you've stuck around this long, <laughs> thanks for listening. We're back next week and maybe we'll be shorter. Maybe we won't. Thanks. <laughs>